0: Today's reading is from Acts 9, verses 1 to 20, the conversion of Saul. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and he neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying and he has seen a vision. A man named Ananias came in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself, will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And This is the reading of the Lord, but I don't have the words in front of me for ending. What is it, Jenny? <laughs>
1: For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. As we reflect on this story uh, and the choir sings, I'd like to invite our ushers to come and receive this morning's offering. Would you pray with me? O God, we come listening for your word, indeed, that is within us and among us, and here in these texts. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. So this text, this road to Damascus story, is a famous, uh, one of the most famous, conversion stories. You know, when we sing, you know, hallelujah, I saw the light. Part of that comes from this text. Paul on the road to Damascus, seeing the light, and encountering Jesus, and converting. So I'm curious, when you hear this word, conversion implied in a religious setting what's your first reaction and you can be honest so this is the audience participation part (laughs) so what's what's your first reaction not so good good. (laughs) Hmm? coercion Coercion. yeah what was that change Change. yeah a miracle confusion it it happens. Yeah. Finding a new path. A new path. Great. Zealous. Zealous? Zealous? Zealous. Yes. Well, transformation. transformation. Leave, leaving, behind. leaving behind. I think um Conversion, for me, I, I share the positive and the negatives that were shared here. I have I have, a, I have a paradoxical feeling when it comes to conversion. But I think it, its deepest meaning, apart from the baggage that we may have from it, it's, it's what we're most afraid of, and it's what we most deeply long for. I mean, because in all the places where we're stuck, in all the places that we don't feel like we can move forward. We're, we're wanting some sense of conversion, like show me the light, change me, do something here. But on the other hand, we're deeply attached to our ways of being. We're afraid of what we might have to change. We're afraid of maybe being blinded for a while. But I do love a really good conversion story so, I brought a few for you today. First one has probably been my favorite for a long time. It's uh, the story of Anne Lamott, the writer. And um, Anne was um, addicted to alcohol. she was pregnant. She didn't know what to do, but she kept dropping into a church on Sunday. I think it was St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church in Marin City. And finally first, she just sat in the stood in the back out the door and listened to the music and then she kind of crept in and started sitting on the pews and eventually she started singing along with the the music. Uh, She decided to not continue with her pregnancy and uh, she woke up in the middle of the night bleeding and she wrote this. After a while as I lay there I became aware of someone with me hunkered down in the corner and I just assumed it was my father whose presence I had felt over the years when I was frightened and alone. The feeling was so strong that I actually turned on the light for a moment to make sure no one was there. Of course there wasn't, but after a while in the dark again I knew beyond any doubt that it was Jesus. I felt him as surely as I feel my dog lying nearby as I write this. And I was appalled. I thought about my life and my brilliant, hilarious, progressive friends. I thought about what everyone would think of me if I became a Christian, and it seemed an utterly impossible thing that simply could not be allowed to happen. I turned to the wall and said out loud, I would rather die. I felt him just sitting there on his haunches in the corner of my sleeping loft, watching me with patience and love, and I squinched my eyes shut, but that didn't help because that's not where I was, what I was seeing him with. Finally, I fell asleep, and in the morning, he was gone. The experience spooked me badly, but I thought it was just an apparition born of fear and self-loathing and loss of blood. But then, everywhere I went, I had the feeling that a little cat was following me, wanting me to reach down and pick it up, wanting me to open the door and let it in. But I knew what would happen. You let a cat in one time, give it a little milk, and then it stays forever. (laughs) So I tried to keep one step ahead of it, slamming my house door whenever I entered or left. And one week later, when I went back to church, I was so hungover that I couldn't stand up for the songs, and this time I stayed for the sermon which I thought was so ridiculous, like someone trying to convince me of the existence of extraterrestrials. But the last song was so deep and raw and pure that I could not escape. It was as if the people were singing in between the notes, weeping and joyful at the same time, and I felt like their voices or something was rocking me in its bosom, holding me like a scared kid, and I opened up to that feeling, and it washed over me. I began to cry and left before the benediction, and I raced home and felt the little cat running along my heels, and I walked down to the dock, she lived on a houseboat, past dozens of potted flowers under a sky as blue as one of God's own dreams, and I opened the door of my house, and I stood there a minute, and then I hung my head and I said, Okay, I quit. I took a long, deep breath. And said out loud, all right, you can come in. So this is my beautiful moment of conversion. Another Bay Area story (laughs) is the story of Sarah Miles, who is a journalist, lived in San Francisco, is gay, and she found herself again. Gosh, it's funny that conversions are happening in churches, you know, because it's kind of like the last place I would (laughs) expect them to happen, but... But she kept going by St. Gregory's in San Francisco and, um, and this wonderful, crazy Episcopal church in, in San Francisco. And, um, and she was drawn into the music and the liturgy. As if you know St. Gregory's, they dance a lot and uh, they have this big table right in the middle of the sanctuary. And she was so struck with the communion happening every week. And she said, I had to be receptive or go crazy because even as I kept going to church, the questions raised by the experience only multiplied. Conversion was turning out to be quite far from the greeting card moment promised by televangelists when Jesus steps into your life, personally saves you, and becomes your lucky charm forever. Instead, it was socially and politically awkward as well as profoundly confusing. I wasn't struck with any sudden conviction that I now understood the truth. If anything, I was just crabbier, lonelier, and more destabilized. All that grounded me were those pieces of bread. It was the materiality of Christianity that fascinated me, the compelling story of incarnation in its grungiest details, the promise that words and flesh were deeply, deeply connected. God was in a piece of bread you could eat, and yet it was true. One last story. Recent com- it's a story of a recent conversion that came up in our Monday night book group this last week as we were reading Rob Bell's book, What We Talk About When We Talk About God. And here it is, Jane Fonda. Several years ago, in an interview she gave to Rolling Stone magazine, the interview said this, your recent and perhaps most dramatic transformation is your becoming a Christian. Even with your flair for controversy, that's pretty explosive. (laughs) It's a telling statement, isn't it? You can sense so much there, Rob Bell says, as if there's a question behind the question that isn't really a question. That hidden question, being what the interview, really wants to ask her, why would anybody become a Christian? That's a question a lot of people have. Educated, reasonable, modern people who find becoming a Christian as an explosive, not to mention an inconceivable thing to do. In her response, Jane Fonda spoke of being drawn to faith because, quote, I could feel reverence humming within me. Reverence humming within me. Conversion happens. It happens. It's a beautiful and scary possibility and reality. And in this story that Carrie read, I'm going to use the the name Paul instead of Saul. She was talking about Saul, but then he changed his name to Paul, and that's a whole nother sermon in and of itself. But I knew I would keep tripping over myself if I tried to keep consistent with Saul. So Saul's going to be Paul. Um, Paul is is on the road to Damascus and he is full of religious fervor. He is is full of, of conviction that these Christians, these Christ followers were uh, doing the wrong thing and actually the greatest threat to what he held most dear, which, which is his Jewish faith. His faith that was was locked into rigid tribal identity about who they were and how they were supposed to stay pure and what you were supposed to believe. And he was determined that they should be destroyed. And as we read, on that road, he encounters a light. And he goes from his full, confident self to being blind and needy and needing to be led into the city, and sitting for three days. This concept of blindness is, I think, the very first thing, very first mark, really, of often what happens in any sort of conversion. There's this sense of of really hitting bottom, of having to face what we are most deeply resisting. Paul's choice when he sees that is really two things. I mean he could have committed continued to be angry. He could have thrashed about. He could have said you know someone needs to come and fix my eyes and gotten really desperate and started moving around but instead he gets quiet. He fasts for three days. He sits and he takes in that blindness and he takes it in. Richard Rohr says, until you bottom out and come to the limits of your own fuel supply, there is no reason for you to switch to a higher octane of fuel. For that is what is happening. Why would you? You will not learn to actively draw upon a larger source until your usual resources are depleted and revealed as wanting. In fact, you will not even know there is a larger source until your sources and resources fail you. This sense of darkness and blindness and coming to the end of your resources is really an essential component of of what conversion means. This past week, uh, I was expressing to a fellow pastor friend, saying um, all the things that I was stressed about and all the things that are, I felt are required of me in the next few weeks and months. And, and he just looked at me and he said, you know you can't do it. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that is exactly what I needed to hear. <laughs> I didn't need someone to pump me up and be like, you can be your best self, you can get out there, you're a great leader. I just needed to hear someone be like, you know what, you're right. That's gonna be really hard. And you're gonna need something bigger than yourself to get through it. And that's that moment of conversion right there in that moment for me. You know you can't do it. So where's, where's the higher octane fuel that you're gonna go look for? Well, we accept the darkness and the places of blindness in our lives as invitations to transformation, to conversion. We trust the darkness to do its work in us. Barbara Brown Taylor says, I have learned things in the dark that I could never have learned in the light. Things that have saved my life over and over again. So that there is really only one logical conclusion. I need darkness as much as I need light. Darkness and blindness allows us to hear the truth wherever it's coming to us. To participate in that moment of truth-telling and allow it to become a part of us. But I think we would do, um, do ourselves a disservice if we only stop at that definition of Conversion. Only the moment of darkness and and maybe even the changing of our minds and the shifting of our priorities because there's something else that happens in this text that is bigger than just Paul's own individual shift. Instead, we also see that, that Ananias, who was sent to him, has his moment of conversion as well. God comes to Ananias and says, you know that guy that's threatening to kill you? Well, I want you to go to him and talk to him and he, and tell him about me, about Jesus. He's ready to enter into this community. And, and you can imagine Ananias was not very eager to do this. Paul is ministered to by the very person that he had been threatening to murder. And when Ananias shows up, he calls him. Did you catch it? Brother Saul. And so this man who was a murderer becomes a brother. When we experience any sort of conversion or transformation, any sort of shift that is directed by God and fueled by God in our lives, it is going to result in us having a bigger definition of who belongs of being able to embrace others that we may have not even been able to stand, who may still even be a threat to us. And I wanna say that if we're not preaching this along with the conversion, we're really missing something. And as I've looked at the news in the last few weeks and read about the attacks at the mosques and the synagogues and the churches so often done in the name of religion, I realize how often we have failed to teach this alongside the other, that dogma without compassion, that strong belief and conviction without a sense of of seeing every other person as brother or sister, that is not true transformation. That is not true religion. Every true conversion shows up in love. So speaking of Jane Fonda and our Monday night group, um, I, uh, Dave Forder gave me permission and wrote a little something for me to be able to read to you about his experience in our conversation on Monday night. Dave said, here's my feeling about Jane Fonda. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I have been harboring a resentment for her for decades <laughs> because she chose this because she chose to have her picture taken on a North Vietnamese anti-aircraft gun. She did this while many of us were flying missions over North Vietnam, and those guns proved deadly to some. She also did it while many American aviators were incarcerated in the Hanoi Hilton and other prisons. It was difficult to stomach. Now I read in Rob Bell's incredible book several references to a quote attributed to Jane Fonda about feeling reverence humming in me. My first reaction Monday night was denial that she could be that sensitive. My second reaction was, who am I to judge? I am just another imperfect human being. Only God gets to judge. Also, I realized that carrying around resentments only hurts me. The person or thing I resent doesn't even know it, and they have to live with their choices just like I do. This all became clear to me Monday night. Thank you for sharing your moment of conversion with us. I think conversion is around every corner for us, inviting us to embrace the darkness, drawing us into love. And in fact, I had my own moment of conversion with my friend that told me, you can't do it, because nine months ago when I met him, I sat down next to him in a group we were at and I introduced myself and he told me he was the pastor in a denomination of a church that I had left 15 years ago that was deeply painful for me and I looked at him I thought all right here we go God (laughs) (laughs) and instead he has become a friend and ministered to me and was a moment of conversion because of our friendship. So like Dave, I I see that God is always working, always inviting us to embrace even the ones we have hated, even the ones that we have despised, even the ones that hate us, to draw that circle and to embrace them. In Sarah Miles' journey of conversion, she realized that this bread was not just for her that this bread was for the world. And she began to to, um, clear off that table at St. Gregory's on Friday afternoons and to serve thousands of people in a food pantry. And that food pantry has grown throughout the city of San Francisco and continues to serve thousands every week. And so this morning, we'll have an opportunity to be at this table too to take this bread that is for us and to also pray that, that we may be made into people of greater compassion and love for this world, that we would be converted. Amen.